This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 16 John Allen grabbed the horse's bridle and looked up at Eddie. Forgetting something. He held up the telescope Eddie had received for Christmas last. Eddie smiled tensely, and his nerves settled just a little. Have fun, me boy. I will, Pa. Thank you. The buildings of downtown Richmond faded in the horse's wake as Eddie crested the ridge of the city. Settling in for the long ride to the countryside, his mind turned to the man he called Pa. It had always bothered Eddie that the Allens never legally adopted him as they had long promised when he was a little boy. And while the pain didn't sting as much as it once had, the feeling was still there, now crystallized into repressed anger. It was salt in Eddie's wounds that he had never quite gotten a straight answer on the subject. A false promise was worse than no promise at all. Eddie had once asked Frances about it, but even her reply was flippant. The Poe family might not appreciate us stripping you of your rightful name, son. It would be dishonoring the legacy of your grandfather. He was a deputy quartermaster general, after all, and a close personal friend of Lafayette and Washington. You must always be proud to be a Poe. The excuses were flimsy at best. First, there was proof that the Allen family did adopt children, case in point when Uncle Galt had adopted Cousin James. Then there was the persistent rumor that his biological grandparents had tried to keep the three Poe grandchildren together after Eliza's death. Rumor had it that the Allens and the Mackenzies had waged a vicious legal battle against the elderly Poes, knowing well the older couple could never afford litigation. No matter how he tried, Eddie couldn't shake the persistent belief that he did something to make the Allens change their mind about adopting him. There was really no other explanation for the reversal. In an effort to avoid any awkward subject, Ma and Pa always patronized him and changed the subject. Eddie rode along the outskirts of the city, contemplating whether he was better off living with the Allens or if he would have fared better in Baltimore. The Allen home wasn't always happy, and while he was spared no expense and granted almost any material prize he asked for, there was something missing that other families definitely had. For example, the Ellises were always having picnics and playing games together. The Mackenzies delighted in supporting one another's endeavors in sport or business. Even the plantation slaves found time to dance and sing on Sunday afternoon. Eddie envied this camaraderie. He had first seen it as a boy at the cabins. Laughter, music, and dance were not uncommon. It always struck him as inspiring that in the face of such abhorrent conditions, the slaves never forgot the importance of faith and family. Of course, a single word of this in polite society and he'd be ostracized, so he kept his observations to himself. Nevertheless, Eddie couldn't help but find some empathy for those on the circumference of society, whether they were servants, slaves, drifters, or orphans just like him. And while he was clearly not himself indentured, he understood all too well the feeling of being an accessory to a family while not actually being recognized as a member of it. This crisis of convention put Eddie at odds with himself. He was grateful to be well-fed, well-dressed, and given a fine education, but he couldn't help but recognize that it all reeked of charity. Everything, it seemed, was a constant reminder of how the do-gooding Allen family took in the orphan boy all those years ago. Look at us. We're charitable. 
As night fell, the stretch of highway leading to the James River Valley could be ominous and sometimes dangerous. Eddie had heard stories of bandits jumping out from behind the shrubs to rob people of everything, including their horse. So he kicked the little mare to a canter. Over the bend, he came upon a patch of brambles flanking the road. This time of evening was pleasant, even pretty, but it occurred to him that when he returned later, the same spot might become menacing in the dark. Eddie took a mental picture of his surroundings. If here be trouble in the near future, at least he'd have a lay of the land. He came to a small clearing. To anyone else, it was just a patch of flattened grass on either side of the road. But to Eddie, it was the most malevolent spot on earth, the primal source of his worst nightmares. For here, on this very plot of land, there once stood a long-forgotten cemetery, and it was here, when he was just a boy, that he had witnessed something so unspeakably gruesome, so unimaginatively horrible, that it would change his view of the world forever. All these years later, that horrible day still sent shivers down Edgar's spine. He had just been a boy, six or seven at best. It was sunny that summer morning, a beautiful day by anyone's standards. Ma's brother, Edward Valentine, had gone to run an errand up in Henrico, and little Eddie, in awe of his gentleman uncle, had been allowed to go along for the ride. The carriage drove steadily over the country road when they encountered a disruption along the way. A group of workmen, mostly slaves, were attempting to widen the highway, cutting back brambles and thickets of small trees in an effort to accommodate the ever-growing traffic that flowed between the plantation fields and Richmond's warehouse district. It would have been a simple task, too, if not for the old Revolutionary War cemetery that lay in their path. Mr. Valentine and his young passenger sat watching as the men exhumed casket after casket on an awaiting buckboard to be reinterred on less coveted land. If anything, the scene was interesting with the care the workmen took hauling the fragile load. It continued like this until traffic began to build up along the thoroughfare and the workers picked up their pace. Working feverishly, two men tried to balance the dusty coffin they were shouldering. But in their haste, they slipped, and the contents of a particularly brittle pine coffin fell out onto the road for everyone, including little Eddie, to see. The cadaver fell in a puff of dust, splayed on the ground in all directions. The queue of awaiting travelers gasped in shock at the sight. No one could have known. It was about to get worse. The workmen stood there for a moment, no one wanting to touch the long-dead Minuteman. Finally, one of them crouched down, cradled the overturned corpse, and turned it face up. Uncle Valentine tried to shield little Eddie's view, but it was too late. The boy saw everything in gruesome detail. Instead of decomposing, the dead man had mummified so that his corpse resembled buckskin. This made it painfully easy to read the expression upon the deceased man's face. His was a look of shock, panic, an absolute despair. It didn't take much to realize that all those years ago, the soldier had not been fully dead upon his burial. His bony fingers said as much, frozen in a clutching manner, reaching out, begging, pleading for a rescue that would never come. Then, in an instant, a breeze swept through the travel corridor, imploding the dead soldier's face into its skull before that too turned to dust. Little Eddie 
had seen it all in ghastly detail. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars, and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.